Chapter 184 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume 3, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 184 The Mysterious Stranger, The Night Watch. At this moment the stranger who had put the coachman and groom right about the word valetudinarian rose from the seat he had occupied in the corner of the room, and uttering a deep hollow groan walked toward the door. The party looked at him with awe and astonishment. He was of great height but frightfully thin, and the slight glance they could get of his face showed how perfectly ugly he was. In another moment he had left the place, and there was a silence of several minutes' duration after he had done so but it was at length broken by the coachman, who said, "'I say, Frank, my boy!' "'Here you is,' said Francis. "'Don't you think, if you never seed anybody as looked like a vampire before, you have seed one now?' "'The devil!' said Francis. "'You don't mean that.' "'Yes, I do. And it strikes me wonderful, as we have been a-telling all we had to tell afore the very individual, of all others, as we oughtn't to have told it to. That's a vampire.' If a hoss is a hoss, that's a vampire, Frank. I knows it. I feels it. Frank looked aghast. Why, why, then he said, we have just told him where to find the Lady Lake if he wants her. Lord, what? Suppose it's the same one as got in at the window at Florence. I'll have him. He can't have got far, I should say, by this time, and hang me if I don't stop him and know what he is afore he goes any further. I shan't sleep if I don't. Without waiting for any reply, although the coachman and Mr. Slop both seemed to be upon the point of saying something, out rushed the valorous Francis into the street. But in about three minutes he came back and sat down with a disappointed look. "'He's off,' he said. "'In course,' said the coachman, "'through the air like a sky-rocket. You might a knowed that. But arter all, Frank, he mayn't be a vampire. Do vampires come into public-houses, eh? Answer me that, will you? I rather think that's a settler, Frank.' "'Do you?' said Frank. "'It might be, old fellow, if you could prove it. It would be an odd thing for a vampire to come into a public-house and drink, but I don't see if he has anything again by it, anything to prevent him coming and ordering and paying for something, and then leaving it. Look there.' Frank pointed to the brimming glass of something which was on the table just where the mysterious man had sat, and this to the coachman and to Slop was such proof positive that they both looked at each other with the most rueful expression on their countenances. "'I think you are rather convinced now, you old ump,' added Frank. "'Rather, rather.' "'I'm all over of a cold inspiration,' said Slop. "'Well,' added Frank, "'it's not never of no use, you know, putting yourself out of the way about it, and that's the fact, and all I've got to say is that I've got nothing to say. Very good, very good.' But if you, Mr. Slop, will give us a call to-morrow, and let us know if anything wrong has took place at the London Hotel, we shall be very much obliged to you, for it's natural for us that we feel an interest in what's going on there on account of our young lady, who we won't, and don't think, is anything else but our young lady, and if she was not, she ought to be. And I tell you what, just keep an eye on the spoony young lake. I will. He wants to be quite sweet with the Lady Annetta, but she can't abide him. But you tell us if he tries to pitch it too strong, and we shall perhaps hit on some scheme of operations. All this Slop promised faithfully, and with his own nerves rather startled at the idea of having been in the same room for the better part of an hour with a vampire, he walked back to the hotel, 
and as he had not been enjoined to any secrecy, he gave the landlord a full and particular account of all that had taken place. This was listened to with no small degree of interest, but as mine host of the London Hotel could make nothing of it, he could do nothing with it. "'Slop,' he said. "'I don't like the state of things at all, I assure you, Slop, and I rather shake than otherwise about what's to occur to-night. You know there's to be a watch kept in the corridor by the young lady's room, or else, poor thing, no doubt she wouldn't get a wink of sleep, and I'm quite sure that I shan't at all events, let what will happen or what won't. I'm all a twitter now as it is. I've broke nine wine-glasses already, and all I can say is I wish they would all go away.' The landlord did not like to give good guests notice to quit his house, but he had a consultation with Mr. Black, whom he considered to be quite his sheet-anchor in this affair, for if that gentleman had not offered to sit up and watch for the vampire, he, the landlord, certainly would, despite all profitable considerations, have requested guests who brought with them such questionable connections to leave. The night had now come on, and as hour after hour passed away, the anxiety of all concerned in the affairs that were taking place at the London Hotel increased. But we need not occupy the time and attention of the reader with surmises and reflections, while facts of an interesting and strange nature remain to be detailed. Suffice it that at eleven o'clock the Lady Annetta retired to rest. Two chairs and a table on which burned two candles were placed in the corridor just outside the room in which the fair girl, who had the previous night had such a visitor, reposed, and there sat Mr. Black and Mr. Lake, both determined to do their utmost to discover the mystery of the vampire's appearance, and to capture him should he again show himself. During the first half-hour's watch, Mr. Lake related to his companion the particulars of the affair at Florence, which, as it has already been told by Francis, we need not again recapitulate. Suffice it to say that the narration was listened to by Mr. Black with great interest. "'And did you,' he said, "'make no discovery of who this midnight visitor was?' "'None whatever.' "'Tis awfully strange.' "'It is, and has given her abundance of uneasiness.' "'And well it may, sir.' I shall be very happy if through my means any elucidation of these mysteries and truly terrific visitations should take place. You are very good, sir. What is that? Twelve o'clock, I think, striking by some neighbouring church timekeeper. Hush! Is it not so? Yes, twelve. It is. How still the house is! I was told this was a very quiet hotel, and so indeed I find it. But yet, I suppose upon this occasion there is more stillness than usual." doubtless. Hush! Hush! What was that? I thought I heard something like a window opening slowly and cautiously. Hark! There it is again. Do you not hear it? Hush! Hush! Listen now. On my life I can hear nothing. Indeed, your sense of hearing, then, is not so sharp as mine. Look there. He pointed, as he spoke, to the door of Mr. Blue's chamber, which was opened a very short distance, not above a couple of inches, and then he added in a whisper, What do you think of that? By heaven, I suspected him before. And I. And be still, whatever you do. But yet perhaps it would be better. Go downstairs and bring up the hall porter. We may as well be in force, you know. The door at the head of the stairs is open. You can depend upon my keeping a good watch while you are gone. Now, now quick, or we may be pounced upon and murdered before we are aware. Thus urged, Mr. Lake ran downstairs for the purpose of rousing up the night porter, and he found that that individual did indeed require rousing up. "'Hello, my man,' he said. "'Get up. "'Eh? "'Eh? "'What? "'Fire!' "'No. "'No, they want you upstairs, that's all. "'You are a pretty fellow to consider yourself a night watch here "'and to be fast asleep. 
Why, with the exception that you have your clothes on you, you are no more ready than anybody else in the house. I beg pardon, sir, I always sleep with one eye open. Well, well, come upstairs. A loud scream at this moment came upon their ears, and the night-porter staggered back again into his great leathern chair from whence he had just risen, and looked aghast, while Mr. Lake turned pale and trembled fearfully. "'Good God!' he said. "'What's that?' A bell was rung furiously, and then ceased with a sudden jar as if the wire had broken, which was indeed the fact. Then Mr. Lake, mustering all the courage he possessed, ran upstairs again, leaving the night-porter to follow him, or not, as he felt inclined. But when he reached the door at the top of the staircase he found that it was fast, nor could he, with all his strength, force it open. "'Help! Help! Help!' he heard a voice cry. End of chapter 184